Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Today, I have a really cool opportunity to be with a former client who I worked with briefly during the strange times of COVID. Um, She was kind of in between therapist and in a crisis point, especially with eating issues and an eating disorder. And her mother wanted me to do some virtual sessions um, about two years ago, and her eating disorder got really severe. And they got a treatment team for her that she was able to work with more in person eventually. But um, so I had asked her if she would be my first guest to talk about the topic of eating disorders. And Jojo is very brave and she has done some other speaking engagements and, and mentoring to other people since she has been recovered, even though that's an interesting topic of recovery. Like (laughs) it's an ongoing battle and I know she'll talk about that, but um, she is just a very brave, insightful, almost 18 year old and a twin. And um, she and her twin brother are the the youngest in a batch of four children. So uh, is it okay to call you Jojo or do you prefer a different? Yeah, Jojo's good. Okay, good. So hi, Jojo. Hi, my name is Jojo. I've been in recovery from three different eating disorders for about four or five years. I'm diagnosed with anorexia, bulimia, and ARFID, which is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, and it's a little bit less known than the other main eating disorders. Hmm. Yeah, to be honest, you were one of the first people that ever told me about ARFID. Um, And I definitely, I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about that, but I do think it's really intriguing. I've known personal and professional people who have all kinds of sensory issues and texture issues and food aversions. And, um, and, and I know that you were saying earlier today before we recorded that your mother always had trouble with vegetables and certain textures, um, you know, picky eating can run in the family and it's a separate issue from an eating disorder. Um, or, well, it's an interesting question. Like, I don't think most people think of an eating disorder as an aversion to certain textures, but that is a piece of your, your story for sure. A big piece. Yeah, a lot of people actually do refer to it as picky eating, but there's like a big difference between picky eating and an eating disorder, ARFID, Mm -hmm. because I have always been a picky eater, but I haven't had ARFID until the past recent years. So you can be a picky eater, but not have ARFID. I would say ARFID is more of like I live with a daily paranoia of fear fear of food and fear of different foods and fear of getting sick or um, choking or different textures of foods are really stressful for me. 
I have a twin brother who hasn't been formally diagnosed, but also kind of has ARFID and he has a hard time eating certain food groups too. It's so fascinating, you know, and it's kind of a great example because I just finished having lunch with a friend who she, I offered her my Brussels sprouts and to try my Brussels sprouts. And she said, those can, you know, aggravate my stomach. And I offered her some of my um, salmon and she said that can bother my stomach. And so I think what you're doing a great job of describing is you almost develop this complex around eating like is this going to aggravate me? How's this going to affect the rest of my day? You know, am I going to have like, it could be even like diarrhea or cramping or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's interesting how that plays into your story. And I would really like to hear if you could tell us, you know, when the eating issues got severe and what some of the big triggers were. Um, I know cheerleading is a piece of the puzzle and some family history around maybe, appearance or whatever is a piece like how do you think it all kind of came together to develop into a perfect storm of like a really serious eating disorder yeah for sure well something that I learned when I went to my first residential treatment center was they were talking about nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. and they were talking about how you can be genetically predispositioned to have an eating disorder. Like I have a lot of family members with different eating disorders, Mm -hmm. but some people can have that, but never actually get an eating disorder. But so many different like triggers and little experiences and situations I've been through in my life have led to me eventually having, like, I don't think that there was any way that I would not have had an eating disorder. Um, But I've gone through a lot of different phases with different things. A lot of people think that eating disorders is just like a one size fits all like, oh, this person just doesn't eat a lot or, you know, loses a lot of weight. But I've gone through a lot of different things. The first eating disorder I actually went through was I had binge eating disorder and purge So I I was binging and purging Mm. um, a lot. And I think that this was because my whole like childhood, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, back then in the 2000s, there was a lot of like diet culture and you, you know, don't let your kids eat these certain foods. You should cut out junk food from your kid's diet or like, you know, like sugar leads to ADHD kind of fear Mm -hmm. um, of things for parents. So Um, there wasn't really a lot of junk food in my house. So whenever I had it, I would, you know, eat too much of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I felt really bad about my weight and people would comment on the weight gain. Um, you know, one boy told me that I should lose weight and all those things just really triggered me into wanting to lose weight. This was like in eighth grade Mm -hmm. when I was like 13. Okay. And so I developed anorexia and I started restricting my food intake a lot. Um, that was like freshman year. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I had a really big problem with diet pills freshman year. Um, yeah, that was, that was really hard, but no one really noticed. And I didn't actually even get diagnosed, which is kind of just, um, proof that like, like I always say, like a diagnosis is a privilege because sometimes, you know, you can't get diagnosed or sometimes it's too early or, you know, you might not fit the criteria. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I wasn't even diagnosed with my eating disorder when I was at some of its worst times. Um, So you can have an eating disorder and not have a diagnosis. But Mm. um, yeah, so freshman year was really rough. I was restricting a lot. And then um, when COVID hit, Mm -hmm. like in March of 2020, Mm -hmm. I developed ARFID and I had like a fear of choking on food or a Mm -hmm. fear of solid foods, like normal, Mm -hmm. just food. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would only eat liquid foods for like, I think months or maybe a year. Do you know where that came from? Like, did you choke at one point or hear a story or is it just out of the blue? I think like maybe I got sick one day and so I was only able to keep down liquids and then I was like, wow, like I actually love the not having like to think about um, food Mm -hmm. or like having to chew food because, 
the idea of eating food is so stressful to me with anorexia that I just don't even want to chew food at all. Yeah. So I thought it was so much easier just to like, like I would just drink supplements um, or things like that. And so I went like for about a year, maybe a few days throughout there where I would eat like solid foods. But um, yeah, but that eventually led to my first hospitalization um, because that's not sustainable, Mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I was hospitalized for a week, but I still only ate supplements while I was hospitalized. And they um, let me go. And then I tried to go to school, Mm -hmm. but I was hospitalized again because I could not go to school. Um, at that point I could not even drink water or eat even liquid foods. So Wow, meaning yeah. you couldn't like make yourself do that or you didn't want yeah, to? Yeah, I couldn't make myself do that. So that went on for like three days before oh my goodness. Yeah, before um um the school had to send me to the hospital. And what happened with that? Like what made you not want to drink water or anything? I think it just, it just, you don't think that it'll get out of control, but it eventually is just like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, drink mostly liquids and then it's only liquids and then you're not eating any solid foods. And then you're like, oh, well maybe I'll just drink water. Mm. And then you're like, wow, I can't even find myself able to even put anything in my body at all because you're scared that even water will make you bloated or anything like that. And so that was... Yeah, that was that was definitely very hard mentally. And now I see how (laughs) how wrong I was um, to be scared of foods. I could never be able to not eat food like that again. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, and then I was hospitalized for about two weeks and Mm -hmm. I had to have a feeding tube because I couldn't. You were so underweight, like dangerously underweight. Yeah, yeah. And so the hospital had to admit me inpatient. And um, they decided that if they sent me home again, I would probably just do the the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I... And when did I meet you? Did I meet you after the second Um, hospitalization? I think you met me after after my second residential and like my third or fourth hospitalization. Okay, okay. Oh, wait, no, like my third. Okay. Um, yeah, so there was like a long road, but I did go to Veritas Collaborative in Durham, North Carolina, uh-huh. which I think was a really good place. Mm. Um, it did help me a lot because mm-hmm. um, just giving up that control because eating disorders are such a um, thing. It's such a thing about control. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people with ADHD and OCD have an eating disorder because their life feels so chaotic that they just need to focus and control this one thing. And for me, it was like, well, I can focus on, I'm not going to let any food get in my body or I'm, I'm going to count every calorie. But when I gave up that sense of control, mm-hmm. because at these treatment centers, you have to eat and there's no way around it because mm-hmm. if you don't eat, you'll be forced to eat or you'll mm-hmm. be medically you know, forced to eat. Um, and so I didn't have any control. I just gave all my control to the staff and to the people and to my doctor, my dietitian, my therapist. And that was really great. And they were able to weight restore me while I was there and then discharge me to a partial hospitalization program back in my hometown of Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Yes. So was that in yeah. 10th, 9th grade? Um, This was in 10th grade. Okay. Yes. Yes. And I am now a, I graduated early this December, so I'm technically a senior, but I'm going to go to college next fall. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is, it seems like such a long time mm-hmm. ago now. Yeah. Um, Can you yeah. tell us about the cheerleading experience, like when that happened and how that played into just one of many factors, but yeah. Well, my freshman year, like I was just talking about, um, when I was really struggling with restricting and diet pills, I was also struggling, um, during that time with the liquid diet, just not as much, but, um, I decided to join the cheerleading team because I thought that it would be good for me to take my mind off. I was also struggling with depression, anxiety, and school pressure Mm -hmm. and pressure with friends and relationships 
So I thought that I would join a sport to take my mind off of it. But now um, being in recovery for a long time, I can say that I don't think team sports are helpful for me. Mm -hmm. I think that they're helpful for so many people and can be a sense of support. Mm -hmm. But myself and I've talked to other people with eating disorders that I've had to quit their sports teams like dance or things like that. Sometimes it can really be triggering because when I was on the cheerleading team, I was a flyer mm-hmm. and I was a flyer because the flyer is usually the smallest person. But for me, that wasn't a good thing because I had this constant pressure to be the smallest person on the team because mm-hmm. um, I was one of two flyers and I had to be the smallest. And I just felt this competition against anything else and competition that, oh, if I gain weight, what if someone will take my spot? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I would give myself these, um, these goals and motivations, like, you know, you need to be lighter this day than the next. And, you know, that's what we talked about the wrestling community. It scares me so much. Some of these boys on wrestling teams and I have some girls do wrestling, but, Mm. um, and do you consider yourself a people pleaser? And did that play into the cheerleading pressure to be? Yeah, I think so. Because I didn't want a big thing was like, well, I don't want when they're lifting me into the air, I don't want them to be like, um, struggling because I don't want to be heavy or I don't Mm -hmm. want them to be like, Oh my gosh, like, why is she so much heavier this day? I was convinced that I could gain so much weight overnight, um, no matter what. And so I would just not eat or not eat for a long time up until the games or up until practice. But when practice is almost every day and games are almost every weekend, it was, it just led into this never ending cycle of I have to be thinner the next day and tomorrow I'm going to wake up thinner and oh. just every day. My goodness. I mean, that pressure just, and it really is just such a mix from, you know, and, and I don't know how this plays in with you, but I know I've had clients over the years that say, oh, my mother always talked about her weight or my father or my grandmother used to tell me, oh, you've gained weight or whatever it is, friends, you know, um, or even a comment like it's not worth going into my story, but I did have a short bout with an eating disorder in 10th grade. And one of the things I remember that that kind of pushed me over the edge was this this friend of mine on the basketball team. I think he like squeezed my cheek and he said, you're getting chubby or something like that. And I'm like, I'm going on a diet, you know, and it just kind of started with that. So, um, you know, maybe and you mentioned ADHD and OCD and it might be good for the listeners to know. I think you were kind of implying like I have those two things and that makes eating disorder even more. Like you said, the chaotic stuff and then the desire for control and you're a perfectionist to some degree aren't you very self-critical yes yeah and also people don't realize how such a small comment can affect them for the rest of their lives Mm -hmm. like in eighth grade when this boy told me on the phone like you know you should just lose x amount of pounds and then you look great and, and he doesn't even large. that. I mean, yeah. I bet your pediatrician at the time would have been like, I think you're in the ideal weight range, maybe five pounds overweight. I mean, I don't I've never seen known yeah. you to be overweight, but um, but it, yeah, like that sticks with you. Yeah. And he probably doesn't even remember that or remember me. Uh-huh. But I've remembered that like my whole life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like yeah. to him, maybe a benign comment or thinking he's trying to help you like someone going, Oh, I think your hair would look better short. Like he didn't even think twice about it, but that stuck with you and still does. Yeah. You really have to think about what you say, like what I always, um, what people know now to Mm -hmm. say to me a lot of the time, um, is to say like, Oh, well you look so happy or you look full of joy or I love seeing you, um, in a healthy mindset or in a healthy place or you're glowing is what and my grandma like says. Yeah, because, um, you know, when I was deep in my eating disorder, people would just be like, well, I want your discipline or tell me your weight loss secrets or you look great. You look uh-huh. so thin. And, you know, that is just like adding fuel to the fire. Yeah. So now whenever I think about like, you know, someone complimenting someone's thinness, I think about well, what if they're so depressed that they can't eat? What if they have an eating disorder? What mm-hmm. if they have an illness? 
you know, yeah. so many different things you don't that you might be complimenting. Or, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, um, what, I mean, I don't know how much you want to go into the story, but it got very, very dangerous for you. I mean, do you, would you agree that you were near death a couple of times? Yeah. What, um, my junior year, I had to drop out of school for like the, I don't even know how many times I've gone to like nine different high schools, but I had to drop out of school again because I was very dangerously overweight and my underweight, underweight, underweight. And my doctors were concerned that, you know, it could be life threatening. So I went inpatient and they actually said that my weight was too low for the hospital to keep me. Mm. They said that it would be a liability. Uh So they had to send me to a specialized place in Georgetown. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, it just got a lot worse. Um, Like I could hardly move. Um, I had to pace around the room to raise my heart rate because I I could hardly even get up from the chair to walk to go get my vitals done. Was your heart rate like 30 beats a minute? Yeah, it was like in the 30, 40 range. And it and it was like that for a few months while I had my eating disorder every time I got checked in. Yeah, because, you know, you don't realize the health risks of it. And even if you're overweight or considered at a normal BMI range, Mm -hmm. you can still have life-threatening risks or complications of an eating disorder. Yeah. Can we talk about some of those risks for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about it. Um, I've developed osteoporosis, which means that my bones are like the ones of a 70-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. And it means that I am always in pain, always sore. And it's a lot easier for me to fracture or break my bones. Like if I just fall wrong, I could break uh-huh. bones. Is that from the lack of nutrition, like calcium yes. and just vitamins and nutrients? Yes. And your brain can shrink. Like I got a brain mm. scan and there's like like visible um, dents in your brain because of the lack of nutrition to that part of your brain. So there's like less density in certain parts of your brain? Yeah. Wow. Because your brain can literally shrink when you don't get enough nutrition. Well, and I've heard that your body sort of like starts to eat its own organs in a sense. Yeah, it can do that because um, it's in survival mode. Your body can go into ketosis, uh-huh. um, which the keto diet purposely tries to put you into ketosis, uh-huh. but that's actually not a good thing. Um, it mm-hmm. means that your body is in survival mode mm. and it's scared. Your body is scared. Um, mm. but there can be so many lab, um, risks in your labs and your blood work. Like I've had so many ele- electrolyte imbalances. Mm-hmm. A doctor told me that I could just be even though I'm eating normally, that I could just be walking down the street and my heart could stop. I could have a heart attack because of electrolyte imbalances Mm. um, just from not eating enough of this or Mm -hmm. not even drinking enough water. Um, Yeah. And fertility issues can be a problem. Yeah. Like years later, still haven't gotten my period and I'm almost 18 and probably won't be able to have children. And um it can really mess with your hormones. You can't have enough. You won't have enough of um, the female hormones or male hormones. Mm. Um, there's and so your many teeth, like with bulimia. I mean, I've had to get multiple cavities um, really? removed because um, not in the regular way that you get cavities, but because I've gone to the dentist and they can actually tell when you go to the dentist that you have bulimia because they said, "Oh, well, you have bulimia." Because they were like... The acid on your teeth and stuff. Mm-hmm. My stomach is worn down. My teeth are worn down. And I had to get um, multiple cavities taken out. And it was very painful. Mm. Um, yeah, your stomach can actually even rupture from binging and purging too much. And that mm. can also be life-threatening. Yeah, well, and I know you can speak to like body dysmorphia. Well, sometimes you know that you look unhealthy, but you um people with eating disorders just have different wiring in their brains and sometimes you know they think that that unhealthiness looks good Mm -hmm. or they think that it shows that it's proof of how hard they worked or that it's proof of how messed up they are in their brain because I just wanted someone to like validate me and say like 
yeah, you're struggling, you're messed up. Ooh, yeah. And this is yeah. a vis- visible proof that I am not okay. Yeah, it's the same reason why people self-harm yep. in ways that are visible. It's not for attention. It's not attention-seeking. It's because they want how they feel on the inside to reflect how they feel on the outside. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is so profound. Like these scratches mm-hmm. or this weight is really just showing what I feel like inside. And mm-hmm. it's like false advertising. If you look, if you look healthy, but yeah. you're not, it feels like a lie or something. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, there um, is a lot of things that I have done to help my body image, but um, something that makes it really hard is when you're restricting a lot Um, your metabolism is going through so much damage that Mm -hmm. bloating can actually be a lot more severe than it is for Mm -hmm. a normal healthy person with normal eating habits. And so I actually would get a lot more bloated than normal people would. So that was really hard. And now that I am close to being weight restored and eating at least three meals and snacks every day, Mm -hmm. I don't have, you know, issues with bloating anymore or gaining a lot of weight overnight because your body starts to go into um, homeostasis mm. and everything starts to even out. But I actually found that I gained more confidence when I gained weight. Mm. I thought that I had to lose more and more and more weight in order to have more confidence. But actually, when I started gaining more weight, I was able to wear outfits that I had never worn before and post on my social media. And I hadn't posted in months because I didn't want people you know, to think about my body or something, but I had the confidence to put pictures of myself on the internet and wear like crop tops or outfits that I used to find triggering. Hmm. I, um, I was actually confident enough to reconnect with friends that I hadn't seen in years and now are my best friends to this day. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of, I have some. One thing that um, really helps me is to surround myself with those friends Mm -hmm. that um, have positive relationships with food and their body. Mm -hmm. Because some of my best friends, like, I just love to have some of my friends over and watch a movie and eat snacks and just Mm -hmm. be normal teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard, but sometimes when you have an eating disorder, you have to cut yourself off from those people who are always talking about you know, their weight or mm-hmm. what they eat. Yeah. Or I had this one friend who never ate anything. And I mean, even if she didn't have an eating disorder, I just kind of had to cut myself off from her mm-hmm. because sometimes you have to be selfish and do what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And if you need to be around people who like are uplifting for you, yeah, it's okay sometimes to cut off people for no good reason. I love that. And you know, it just popped into my mind, the idea of if you were like a recovering academic perfectionist and you used to be so like conditional with yourself, like if I don't make 98s and a hundreds, I'm a failure and I'm such a disappointment and life's not worth living that if you recover from that and you decide, you know what, I'm going to study, but I'm not going to obsess and A's and B's are fine or A's and B's and C's as long as I'm like trying you don't want to be around those people that are like, Oh, I got a 98. Like I hate myself and I'm so stupid. Like, it's just like, that's not my tribe. That's not healthy for me. I don't want to be around that thinking and that culture. So that's great that you have found friends that can support a healthier, more balanced perspective on weight and life. And yeah, that's exactly what it's like. And on the contrary to that, actually some of my friends that are my best friends are people in recovery Mm -hmm. but there's a big difference between people who have eating disorders and people who are actively in recovery from Mm -hmm. eating disorders because I have been friends with both people who are have eating disorders and are not trying to recover and Mm -hmm. that it has brought me down and not been good for me because eating disorders thrive on competition Mm. and you always you know like I have to be the thinnest in the room I have to be the last to finish eating or I have to be eat the less. And so I can't hang out around people mm-hmm. like that. But sometimes people who have been recovered or in recovery from eating disorders mm-hmm. are the best people to be around because they know um, the things not to say, like they know specifically not to talk about any numbers like calorie counts or how much they weigh. Mm-hmm. They know how to support you. 
like one of my best friends has an eating disorder. And so we love to do food challenges for her, um, like challenges from her therapist. Like we'll go to dinner together and get something that's a little bit scary for the both of us. Mm -hmm. And we bring each other up by doing that. Wow. That's Mm -hmm. so cool. What would be a food like that? Just like French fries or? Well, the other day we actually did like a series of challenges, which wasn't as difficult for me because I've been in, I've been in recovery for longer, Mm -hmm. but, um, it was very difficult. I think for her we went to a candy shop Mm -hmm. which for me isn't a fear food anymore but used to be my biggest fear food ever because it's a very demonized diet culture food Hmm. but I have learned that in moderation every food is a good food Mm -hmm. but yeah we got um some candy from a candy shop we went out to dinner at a place we had never tried before Mm. which um we both have orphan so a place that you've never been to before, it can be kind of scary for someone. You feel out of control Mm because you don't know what to expect. Yes, but it was really good. It was just like a burger place. And, you know, then we got donuts at a donut place downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it's better to be with those people because, you know, we're both on a meal plan of like, you know, we got to eat this dinner and this night snack and whatever. So instead of like when I find myself hanging out with people who... Um, don't really get that. We can go for hours and hours without eating and you mm-hmm. don't want to be the one to be like, can we please go eat now? You right. never want to feel like the one who makes makes you go out to eat. Yeah. But with eating disorder friends, it's like, we got to eat. Yeah, we got to stay <laughs> yeah. like fueled and everything. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, um, it, as you're talking about all this, do you, is there advice that you would want to give either parents or, or also people like teenagers or whatever age. But yeah, what to say, like, what would be good things for parents to say or do if they're concerned about their child's eating issues? Um, for me, I think that it is very risky to comment on um, what your child is eating, mm-hmm. especially if you're not very informed about like eating disorders or eating issues or disordered eating, which is different from an eating disorder. Um, And so not everyone, of course, can afford to go to their doctor or have a dietitian. But for me, what really helps me is I have a dietitian that, um, you know, preaches all food is good food, health at every size. And she um, emails with my parents and gives them information And she, I would, I would always recommend a registered dietitian over a nutritionist Mm. or a holistic, um, nutritionist, Mm -hmm. things like that, Mm -hmm. because someone who really knows the science of foods, Mm. um, and knows how to help you like with your health without, um, cutting out foods and restricting foods Mm -hmm. always, I mean, I always think is best, but everyone is different. So that's why I would always recommend um, it's really hard to give like overall advice. Yeah, that's why I always recommend like talking to a doctor or a registered dietitian. But Mm. overall, if I was a parent, I if I had to like go back and like, you know, say things to parents of like because I've been in support groups with people with eating disorders mm-hmm. and they've said so many things about like growing up, my parents always told me this is bad food. This mm-hmm. is unhealthy food. Mm-hmm. And putting like moral labels on food mm-hmm. is what causes the guilt mm. because I would think I'm doing something bad. Right. I'm doing something, you know, not allowed. And, you know, it's not like you're shoplifting or yeah. lying. Yeah. You know, you're just eating a, a donut. Yeah. No, that's so true. So you shouldn't feel yeah. like you're doing something bad. Right. No, that's a great point. And, you know, that's probably a point that I need to think through myself because I like to say things like healthy and unhealthy, not good and bad. But I heard somewhere a neat idea of being thankful for that might have been from the really severe eating disorder client that I had about eight years ago who ended up doing great. She did go to a treatment center, Mm. 
but I think it might have been her that they said to think through what is in this this food that I'm eating and be like, I'm thankful for the protein that's in chicken. Yes. And I'm thankful for the vitamin B that's in an egg and for the fiber that's in broccoli and the, you know, going on and thinking about how that is fueling you. But the fun of like donuts and Skittles, you know, yeah. these are calories that I need for energy. But I think when I think of healthy and unhealthy food, I think of food as fuel. And I guess all food is has calories. But um, thinking about the actual vitamins and the fiber and the protein, I probably sometimes think like I call them empty calories. Like I'll say like Doritos are probably like empty calories because there may not be a lot of nutritional value. But I, I do think that's a really good point, especially when someone's just like, Jojo, anything you will eat because with ARFID and so many foods you just can't, um, can't tolerate or, you know, that bother you like anything. We're just happy that you're putting any fuel in your body. We don't need to be perfectionistic. Like it has to be a superfood or it has to be, you know, a certain type of food. Yeah. What I've learned in treatment, because I took a lot of nutrition courses in treatment is every food has nutritional value. Um, even like a Sour Patch Kid gives you nutritional value, gives you energy, it Mm -hmm. gives you fats, it gives you carbs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you should really think about like what my dad always says and my dietitian is adding things instead of taking them away. Mm. Like, you know, if you have like I'll eat some Girl Scout cookies for Mm -hmm. a snack and I am advised under my dietitian to add like a thing of raspberries, something like Mm. that. Just adding, they call it gentle nutrition, Mm. just adding things, you know, and adding eggs with your pancakes, Mm. things like that, um, can just really help you instead of being like, I'm going to take away the pancakes and just eat the eggs. Yeah. You can just add things and instead of taking them away. But yeah, even under the care of doctors, registered dietitians who, know so much about food and mm-hmm. what is healthy for you. When I was at residential, I was being, if you call it prescribed, mm-hmm. you know, Oreos and pancakes and ice cream mm-hmm. every day, but along with a lot of other foods. And a lot of people were like, wow, I can't believe at a place they're they're letting you eat all those like quote unquote junk foods. Yeah. But I was like, well, because this is what's healthy for me. Yeah. And we yeah. need to get some fats and calories and bulk on you as quick as we can. So, yeah. And so what's healthy for someone is different. Like I was just yeah. telling you earlier, like someone was saying, well, I can't eat six Oreos as a snack and has that be- and have mm-hmm. that be healthy for mm-hmm. me. But, you know, that's what's healthy for me. Mm-hmm. So everyone is different. And yeah. but once you start to talking, once you start to think about I need to restrict all those foods and mm-hmm. I need to cut out all those foods, then you could develop binge eating problems. Mm-hmm. And that leads actually to more weight gain and issues than if you had just eaten food in moderation. And right. I know from experience. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, if someone says don't ever eat candy or sugar, like for a year, you're much more likely to go and like binge on a bunch one night. You're just like, screw it. I'm going to eat a ton. And then that's not healthy, Mm -hmm. but just in moderation. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like what I found is I thought my disordered brain, when I was not thinking straight, I thought, oh, well, if I commit to recovery, then I'm going to be eating all this junk food all the time. And I'm going to be eating only cake and sugar all the time. But it's like I when I was binging and restricting mm-hmm. all these foods for myself, I would binge on them because mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to have them. Mm-hmm. But in recovery, now that I say this food is has you have constant access to this food. This food is unlimited. You can mm-hmm. have it whenever you want. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to eat as much of it as I did when I was binging because mm-hmm. I know I don't have to finish this all tonight. I can eat it tomorrow and food that used to be gone really quickly. Now I keep snacks and sometimes I forget about them or I just, you know, yeah, maybe you were way more all or nothing before. Oh, definitely all or nothing. And now in recovery, of course I crave cake all the time and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but I also crave fruit and sometimes vegetables and fresh foods. And I think I actually am eating a lot less processed food than when I was in my eating disorder, because 
I was calorie counting so heavy that I was only letting myself eat foods that I knew the exact calorie counts of. And then allows you to not, that allows you to not be able to cook or to eat mm. foods like from a farmer's market and eat foods from a restaurant. And so I was just finding myself eating the same things every day that were just making me feel like so awful. Yeah, inside. no variety. Because, and when you say farmer's market, you mean you're afraid to eat the food from there because you don't know how many calories are in it? Yeah, and I and I wasn't able to cook for myself. Like I would didn't just have eat, nutrition information. Yeah, like that. an example is I didn't know the calories in homemade mashed potatoes. So I was eating the really gross, like powdery stuff. Uh-huh. And that is so much worse for you than if you would right. just eat the potatoes. But it's like, oh, I have to know how many calories are in it. Yeah. So now I actually think even though I don't like using the word healthy, I think uh-huh. I am so much healthier now, uh-huh. even though I allow myself to eat all the things that I was so afraid of. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And that takes so much courage. Yeah. And those are kind of two of the words that stand out as we're talking. Um, I remember when I was studying, you know, eating disorders and things like that, hearing how often eating disorders are kind of a desire for control. Like if life feels out of control or mm. your family is in chaos or there's some situation, you've been through some trauma at school or wherever. One thing you know you can control is your eating. Yeah. And so it gives you a sense of like um, comfort of like, I can, I can't control my parents' marriage or someone's, you know, alcohol or addiction issues, or um, I can't control those things, but I can control what I eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check somebody. No. Harry? I mean, it could be any sense of a loss of control, like my house burnt down. I mean, I've had clients that have had their house knocked down by a tornado mm. or it could be abuse, you know, sexual mm. abuse or physical anything. And it's like what feels comforting is some sense of control. Is that something you've heard about in from fellow? Oh, yeah. Know? Like, again, I've been in so many support groups and talked with so many people in inpatient residential mm-hmm. and outside of treatment centers. And there's definitely a common theme of trauma, mm-hmm. bullying, mm-hmm. parental pressure, wow. and um, making fun of weight, like people making fun of their weight. Oh, my um, goodness. I need to write mm-hmm. these down. Those are big yeah, ones. They're big ones. Okay. Remind remind me because the listeners might want to hear that again. Yeah. Parental so pressure. Parental pressures, trauma, trauma. like... Um, sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. physical abuse, even emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. um, and bullying and weight shaming from Mm -hmm. friends or from peers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even mentioning ADHD, um, I talk a lot about this great podcast that I heard um, episode from this Dr. Dodson, who specialized psychiatrist who specialized in ADD. But he was saying that the three of the most core issues of someone with ADD are there. They tend to be emotionally responsive. And and I think people pleasing. He talks about that, how when you're really responsive to what people want or what people think, and then um, a huge amount of sensitivity to rejection, he calls it rejection sensitive dysphoria. So, and then also an interest-based nervous system instead of an importance-based nervous system. But you think about all the pressures you felt, whether it was from, I'm on the, you know, the cheerleading squad, I'm a flyer, they're, they're checking the size of my waist. They're, you know, it's going to hurt them more if I, if I eat a bunch this weekend and then I want to please them. And then this one guy told me I should lose a little weight. And, you know, that really is a real uh, talk about perfect storms for someone with ADHD and all that emotional responsiveness. That's, you know, and again, that triggered me too. In fact, that's one of the things that fueled me when I had my eating issue is I always felt like sort of one of the bigger boned um, people. Like I was really never heavy as a child, but in 10th grade, I was kind of gaining a little weight. And that's when that basketball player said, oh, you're getting kind of chubby or something. But then I lost a bunch of weight because I stopped eating sugar. That's all I did. I stopped sugar. And I had a teacher say, oh, you're going to blow away if you lose any more weight. And then my friends started saying, let me try on those pants and see if I can get into those pants. And people started offering me their food at lunch. And I was like, this Mm. is new for me because I was like a pretty sturdy girl, like 
you know, just kind of athletic and muscular. And um, suddenly the girls were all wanting to try on my clothes and give me their lunch. And I was like, and I liked that attention. It was like the emotional responsiveness of the affirmation I was getting and, and things. And so that kind of fueled me from just trying to like stop eating sugar to then like getting carried away with calorie counting and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I know everyone is different. And there's so many things that can trigger you into having an eating disorder or having one eating disorder. And then you get triggered into having another eating yeah. disorder, having multiple at a time. Most people that I know have multiple eating disorders. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the other really big theme that I thought about as you were talking is control was the first one, but then fear, like a yeah. fear of, of getting fat or a fear of disapproval or a fear for with ARFID. I mean, like, how is this going to affect me? And just developing stress about eating, like I'm going to go to a restaurant, what can I eat? What will that do to me? Yeah, you know, and it becomes just like, you know, this fear of how many calories are in this? Is this going to affect me badly? Am I going to have indigestion or whatever? Yeah, for me, it was like, I was constantly afraid that everyone was looking at me and they were thinking about me and they were thinking, oh, she gained weight or oh, she's eating a lot. And in reality, no one cares about you as much as you care about yourself. Mm -hmm. No one is thinking about you. Like think to yourself and think, am I constantly looking at my friends and the people yeah. that I love and thinking like, oh, she gained weight or oh, is she really going to eat all of that? No, because you love we're them. We're so self-conscious and we're so yeah, self Yeah, you're always thinking about what you look like. Yeah. You're not thinking about other people. Yeah. But it, it's really hard. And I'm honestly still not over that fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually why I had to graduate early this year. Mm -hmm. Because even though I was doing so well, I felt myself falling back into maybe a lapse or a small relapse this year, my senior year, because I was at a really big school mm -hmm. and there was a lot of diet culture mm. and body talk and people talking about eating disorders. And the only friend I had didn't really eat. And mm -hmm. so it, I, I just had to get out of there. Mm. And once I got out of there, like almost the next day after I graduated, I felt like so much more free to eat wow. whatever I wanted and gain weight. That's that, you know, going back to the perfectionism with academics, that would almost be like if you had gotten free from that self-criticism about being a perfectionist in school and you suddenly are in this honors program of the elitist elite, you know, gifted honors people. And they're just all who got a 99 and who got a 98 and who got a hundred. And is there extra credit? And you're like, I got to get out of here. Like, I can't stay in this situation. Yeah. And I do feel really bad for people who struggle with that because what I've learned is I've had to drop out of school so many times and I've had to not be in school for months at a time. I've had to do summer school for the past two years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone told me you're going to be held back a year or this is serious. But sometimes it's really not that serious. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to do what's best for your mental health. And what I've learned is it's always going to work out. Mm, like I've had that. times where school has been so overwhelming that I just wanted to, to die. Mm. But it really does all work out in the end if you just if you just trust that it is going to work out. Mm. That's powerful. And there's so much wisdom there. And I think ADHD, that's one of the superpowers is seeing the big picture. <laughs> Yeah. Have you heard that? Or you look like your your facial expression, like you kind of have heard that or that resonates with you? Yeah. Well, people with ADHD, like once you focus on something, like you can do it. And I just focused on getting out of school so I could help my mental health. Uh -huh. And then I was just able to, because with ADHD, um, you definitely really, really focus on something. Mm. So it made it a lot harder with food because with my ADHD and OCD, it was like, my thing that I'm just going to be thinking about for 24 hours mm -hmm. a day and seven days a week is food. Mm -hmm. And so like people don't, people like to glamorize eating disorders and not talk about the reality. But the reality is my hobbies would be things like going on grocery store websites for five hours at a time, mm. watching people's video, watching videos of people eating, mm -hmm. um, constantly thinking about food, just writing 
different lists or looking at Pinterest recipes about food, constantly thinking Mm -hmm. about food. And it is weird how you see the same thing sometimes in people with diets. Like if you know someone on a very strict diet and they're always being like, oh, what are you eating? Or like, oh yeah, I just miss this food so much. Or like, that's the same thing that you see in people with anorexia. Mm -hmm. You're always thinking about food. Yeah. And now I just have like, what I think about is I just have so much more room for things like I couldn't do anything other than think about food and Mm -hmm. sit in my bed all day. And now I have like three different jobs. I'm doing college classes. I'm going on trips. I'm, you know, doing so many different things that I never thought was possible for myself. And it's because I don't think about food 24-7. I actually have hobbies. I like to hike. I like to read. I like to play with my cat. Mm-hmm. And I am so much more than Well-rounded. just thinking about food. Yeah, it was like all-consuming yeah. and just draining your battery. Yeah, people don't talk about how it just leaves room for nothing else. You, you and your eating disorder are... Like my eating disorder was my best friend. Mm. And there's so many things. Like I haven't haven't been able to have a boyfriend in all of mm-hmm. high school. I have lost like countless friends because I just have just not responded and ghosted them because I was just in the hospital and I didn't couldn't think about anyone other than myself. I have not been able to do sports. I have not been able to participate in my family has had to go on vacations without me Mm -hmm. all sorts of things that that. I have missed on and so it's really not worth it when you think about all the things that you're missing out on you never wanted to go to the beach because you'd have to wear less clothes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. I never wanted to wear a swimsuit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then my birthday party last year I was able to wear a swimsuit with my friends and take pictures and that was just such a big deal and eating my birthday cake and That might have been one of your biggest accomplishments of your whole life. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, there's just room for so many more things in your life. There's so many things that you can't do when you have an eating disorder. Like you can't. I mean, it's hard because it's your full time job. So I don't even know how people have the time to hold a steady job when they have an eating disorder or, you know, go out to dinner with friends or with work friends or clients or something like that. Or if you're a college student going to college, what about the dining hall? And what about like, there's so many social activities that you miss out on because, you know, oh, someone wants to study at a coffee Mm -hmm. shop or someone wants to get lunch with me. Yeah. You know, and I can't do that because I'm scared of food. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I was thinking just now about the comorbidity between and and for people that don't know what comorbidity is, it's like occurring at the same time, Mm -hmm. like two diagnoses. And I bet there's a huge comorbidity between anxiety and eating disorders because yeah. a lot of high achieving perfectionistic. And, um, I would love for you and any of the listeners to go back and hear one of my first episodes called an overview of anxiety disorders. But on that episode, I talk about how anxious people and think about how this relates to eating issues or eating disorders. They care too much. They try too hard. They think too much and they have trouble letting things go. And then the other one is from an anxiety workbook, anxiety and phobia workbook. They say four traits that perpetuate anxiety. And then I think these are four traits that would perpetuate an eating disorder are perfectionism, um, an excessive need for control, an excessive need for approval, and then a tendency to ignore physical and psychological stress. And maybe that one could be translated into Instead of dealing with your trauma or your family problems or whatever issues are fueling the the eating issues, you instead of talking about them directly, you just find a way to escape or feel that control by channeling all that energy into controlling your food and all that. Yeah. Kind of interesting to think about. It is. Yeah. Well, so I'm I'm sure we're getting close on time. Is there anything else that you're just kind of itching to share any part of your story or advice? Yeah. um, A lot of people with eating disorders Mm -hmm. struggle with saying things to themselves like, oh, I'll recover when I get to X weight or 
I'll recover after I, you know, get so bad that I have to go to the hospital again. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not sick enough to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sick enough to even have a therapist or see a dietitian or even allow myself to eat. Mm. But the thing with eating disorders is, and I would suggest reading the book, Sick Enough, because there is a book. But um, Ooh, Sick Enough. Oh, yeah. And, and don't forget Schaefer, the books by Schaefer. Oh, yeah. Mentioned. Also, the books Life Without ED and Goodbye ED, Hello Me by Jenny Schaefer, who is the queen of eating disorder recovery. Life Without ED. And, and Goodbye ED, Hello Me. Great. Yes. Your mother told me the same thing. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. But yeah, there, there is no sick enough. I have told myself a million times, I'm not sick enough, or I'm not sick enough to be in this hospital, or I'm not sick enough to get treatment. So minimizing your, your, the severity or being in mm-hmm. denial about yeah. what an, an issue it is. Yeah. But the only one sick enough is the person who is dead. Or the person who weighs zero pounds mm-hmm. because you just keep going. There is there is no sick enough and you will never, ever be, at, you know, because I would set a goal weight for myself. Mm-hmm. I would reach that weight. Then I would say just 10 more pounds, just five mm-hmm. more pounds. And then it just keeps going forever until you just can't go anymore. And so there is no no right time to recover. There's not going to be a time where you think, okay, now I can finally recover and I can choose recovery. Mm. Um, and I know because I have told people so many times I'm out of control. I can't even stop myself. I can't recover and I can't choose recovery. Like I, like I, I literally physically can't, mm-hmm. but, and I know that it's hard. It's hard. And it's really, really hard, but you can choose recovery. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible Um, you can change your mindset overnight. You can switch everything overnight. I mean, before I went into my last hospitalization at Georgetown Behavioral, I was taking up to three hours just to eat a bowl of soup. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Because it was just, you had to force yourself. You just didn't want to eat. Mm -hmm. I was hardly eating anything, could hardly move. In Georgetown, I didn't really eat anything. And I was just at the lowest of the lowest point. And I think, and I thought there's no way that I can recover. Like I need someone else to make me. Um, and I was going to go to a residential treatment center, but I actually changed my mind during my three weeks day. I changed my mind and I said, I actually want to go home. And I think I want to recover. And my mindset literally switched overnight. Mm. I got discharged. I went to a restaurant with my dad. I ate pancakes, food that I hadn't eaten in Mm. like a year. Mm. And it took me a normal amount of time to finish the food, not three hours. Wow. Um, I just. Your dad was probably like, mm -hmm. I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. I literally went to the restaurant in my hospital scrubs with my dad And I just was like, okay, I'm eating this food. And literally for months after that day, I, I was able to follow my meal plan that my dietitian gave me. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. My dietitian didn't want to have me doing that. She wanted me to go to the hospital. And if your doctor tells you to go to the hospital, you should. But for me, in that case, I really just wanted to stay home because the mm-hmm. hospital had not helped me before. Mm-hmm. And I had a really hard time. And I have had some, they call lapses, not relapses, mm-hmm. but like little small lapses mm-hmm. um, where you fall back into patterns. Mm-hmm. And that's happened a few times. But since then, I have been in recovery and I haven't had to go back to treatment. And I haven't had a lapse long enough to be considered a full relapse and so I would say for that like since a year then, and a half, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Since September of 2021, I've been doing really well. And so I know it feels impossible that your mindset can switch overnight, but you really can choose recovery. Wow. And don't just choose quasi recovery. Don't just like put a foot in and put a little bit in and say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to try to eat a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You have to go all in. Mm-hmm. And there's actually 
a form of recovery that is called all-in recovery. Mm. That is very popular if you look it up online. It's talked mm-hmm. about a lot. But where you just go all-in and you stop all your rules, stop all your calorie counting, just go cold turkey mm-hmm. um, and try your hardest to recover from your eating disorder. And for me, that method works. I know some people will probably have to follow more rigid meal plan. I know mm-hmm. that about refeeding syndrome had that and... I know that, you know, there's a lot of different, everyone has different needs. And so not all people can go all in. But for me, I just started eating yeah, a lot. Yeah. And you probably will have extreme hunger when you recover from your eating disorder. And you might feel like you're binging. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a difference between binging and extreme hunger. And for me, I was just so hungry mm. because I just hadn't let myself eat. Talk about malnourished. So long. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just so hungry. And so sometimes you really just need just eat is yeah. what people say. But yeah. like sometimes you really just need to just mm-hmm. eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it to me, I'm just really fascinated with the idea potentially that people with severe eating disorders that beyond just being malnourished, but if you think about the chemical or the, um, you know, supplements and, and the nutrients of any sort that we need, the vitamins are so depleted. Like, I mean, I always talk about how important it is to have like vitamin D3 or B12 for like energy and mental health and depression and then magnesium and, you know, fish oil and things like that. But if you're hardly eating, you're not getting any omega-3s and all that just alone. I mean, just even a person that is eating a normal amount of food, but not getting those supplements, it's hard to feel good and not have like probably brain fog or numbness or, you know, apathy or feeling just emotionally dead, you know? Yeah. You can't even really form like normal thoughts. Yeah. I mean, what the doctors would tell me in the hospital is like, we need to do all of this and we need to feed you because right now you can't even make a decision for yourself. They wouldn't even let me make any decisions because they're like, you can't make a decision. Your brain is not even working. Yeah. And because you're not eating anything and your brain literally can't. So you can't even make decisions or have thoughts of your own until you start eating again. And I think our brains kind of run on fat, sort of. I mean, yeah, your brain, actually what they told me in one of my nutrition courses is carbs and fat go straight to your brain So a lot of people with eating disorders are really scared of those food groups. Hmm. Um, Not me anymore, but Mm -hmm. um, you need carbs and fat to survive and for your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I could go on my soapbox about all the different diets, but there is you can find a diet for pretty much anything. Hmm. I mean, you can find a diet that is literally just the cabbage soup diet that's literally just eating cabbage soup Mm -hmm. and nothing else Mm -hmm. you know you can the keto and the paleo diet and there's so many different diets Mm -hmm. and I will just save you the trouble and tell you that 90% of diets fail yeah and you should see a doctor if you have concerns about your health but most of the time I am a firm um, non-believer of diets, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the time they end up to disordered eating patterns. Mm-hmm. So, but also all the diets will tell you contradicting things. Yeah, you know, don't eat carbs. Well, no, only eat carbs or only eat right. food or only eat meat. Yeah, and they all contradict each other. Mm-hmm. And diet culture is saying so many different things that it's easier just to tune every everybody out mm-hmm. and not listen to anybody mm-hmm. in diet culture and just listen to people in actual healthcare yeah. who know your body and know your history and mm-hmm. can actually give you like informed decisions about your nutrition and what mm-hmm. you're eating. So instead of listening to like a celebrity online who's uh-huh. saying to only drink bone broth. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, don't do that. Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, I love hearing your mindset. Just some of the the key things of there's no right time to recover. There's no perfect time. Mm-hmm. Like there's no time like the present. And um, the other thing that you said is things are always going to work out and how much you lose out on when you hyper-focus on anything, yeah. but certainly just your weight or your calories, or you just miss out on the broad, you know, rainbow colors of like life and how much there is to do and think about and care about besides just, 
your weight or your eating or, or anyone. Yeah. Not even just a person with an eating disorder, but a person who is immersed in diet culture or has had disordered eating patterns for years can miss out on so many opportunities, Mm -hmm. adults and children, males and females and all sorts of different people can miss out on opportunities. If you are a rigid calorie counter or a diet follower, um, I mean, I obviously food is a very personal thing and I don't and I'm not judging anyone or giving any mm-hmm. recommendations on what you should do with your nutrition and your health. But sometimes having those really rigid eating restrictions and rules can lead you to miss out on so many things. Like I look back on the past four years of my life and I think about all the things that I could have done in mm-hmm. my high school if if I had have not had an eating disorder mm-hmm. I'm trying to like make up for lost time yeah. right now yeah yeah well what my favorite part of the whole thing is just that it seems like now you prioritize your health and your happiness over anything like mm-hmm. you did lose a lot but even the fact that you chose to graduate early just to get out of a toxic environment shows that you know your health and happiness and recovery matters more to you than you know missing out on something yes. like that Yeah, like sometimes I'll tell myself, obviously, I wish I could have both, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I have to say no to go into this party because I know it's going to make me want to restrict. Or sometimes I have to distance myself from this friend Mm -hmm. because they're bringing me down. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to make that sacrifices. And you should obviously try to have a balance of being able to do social things Mm -hmm. and also being able to eat healthy. But I... You know, for me, there are certain situations that I've just had to say no to mm-hmm. for my mental health. Yeah. And so I'm able to, you know, let myself gain weight and yeah. eat normally. It's worth a sacrifice if it comes down it to is. your well-being. It is. It is worth it. Well, this was so helpful. And I really appreciate you having the courage to share your story and just try to help other people avoid some of the pain and the suffering that you went through. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah.